You are listening to Ball Side Goal Side, putting coaches in a better position. Hosted by Ed Heberling and Eric Dabransky. All right, back here on Ballside Goalside, we're joined today by Lance Van Heitzma of uh, CONCACAF. He's the new uh, referee manager for CONCACAF, and appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, look forward to getting your perspective. Hope all is well with, for you down there in Florida. Thank you, Ed. Uh, first off, just let me thank you and Eric for uh, providing this opportunity to spotlight uh, referees, uh, really spotlight the human side of referees, which many uh, individuals maybe don't see us as humans, but we really are. And I look forward to, uh, you know, providing some additional insight for, for both of you. Yeah, Lance, it's been something that, that Ed and I have talked about uh, since we launched the podcast almost a year ago was um, obviously I got to know you from, from you roughing our college games, always, you know, had so much respect for the way you communicated with referees. Um, I know I came and did, you know, a talk with you and a couple of referees when you're doing referee training over in South Florida really respected the way you kind of you you really structured that it was such an informational day and I learned so much from it and I was supposed to be the one just kind of talking and talking from the college perspective um so you know just it it was always nice to have you in the center and so much respect but and like you said highlight what it takes to become a ref referee what it is on a daily basis uh but before we kind of get into that can you kind of tell everybody your background how'd you get into the game of soccer you know, did that lead into your desire to become a referee? Was that always something that that was there in the background? Or, you know, how did that kind of evolve? Well, I come from an officiating family where, you know, I had, you know, through my family tree of, you know, being basketball officials, uh, football officials, softball officials, but nobody was ever a soccer official. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I played soccer. Uh, I played in high, uh, you know, travel. I played in high school. Uh, I played a little bit in college uh, at the Division three level in Ohio at a, at a school called College of Worcester. Um, but it really wasn't until I moved back home and transferred to Western Michigan, where it was a couple things. Like one, I needed a job, uh, and two, when I would go watch my brother. Uh, his games when he played I was just like man these officials these are the same officials I had when I played and this was six years ago and they're not getting any better in my opinion right and I said to myself oh anybody can be a referee let me just sign up so I, I signed up I took a test to become a high school referee in the Kalamazoo Michigan area and this would have been like 2002 I get my first appointment and I'm thinking to myself oh I'm the assistant referee I got a set of flags. I'm just going to, it's so easy to point which direction who has to throw it. And I'll never forget this ball came to my side. I looked at the ball, go off the field of play. And I looked up at the referee. I pointed one direction, everybody booed. And I realized I made a mistake. So I pointed the other direction and everybody cheered. And that's when I realized uh, being a soccer official is much harder than what it looks. You know, I took it a little bit more serious, like each year, each game, uh, it was a way for me to give back and stay involved in the game. Um, and then I became a U.S. soccer certified referee like a year later. And it really wasn't until I got around uh, peers of my own age um, and developed a, like a, a close-knit uh, group of uh, friends that were officials 
then I realized that there was avenues and pathways for advancement. You yeah, know, I was gonna uh, say, was was there what moment was that where you because I think I think even as college coaches, it was the same kind of thing. It was like this is a lot of fun. Obviously, you go through the learning the learning stages, but it sounds like you had peers around you that that showed you like, hey, this could actually be a career path, like a full-time job, you know, something that can lead to something else. Um, is that kind of, you know, kind of how it led? You, you hit the nail right on the head there. You know, it, it really, you have to have that strong peer support, but also support from the top, right? So like when I was in Michigan, you know, we had uh, Carlos Felino, our, our state referee administrator, who's still a state referee administrator. Uh, he was very supportive in referee development and investing in the future. Uh, so, you know, what they would do is they would have a group of, let's say, 15 referees, uh, pretty much age 21 to 30, would travel together with two to three uh, assessors, which were also uh, coach mentors, and we would go to tournaments together. And then, you know, they would watch our games, they would give us feedback afterwards. Um, but that's not necessarily where all the learning began, nor did it stop, right? It's being around your peers after the games, talking about scenarios that happened, what happened in your game. And then you really get a, a full analysis of, as well as, uh, you know, options that you have if this happens in the future. And then I moved to, um, and that's where I really got a taste that I wanted to advance, you know, and, 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 and do, do more and be better. And then I moved to Florida as soon as I graduated college. And this would have been 2004. I moved to Florida, Palm Beach County area. Uh, you know, I, I met my state referee administrator down here, Joseph Mikna, who was a retired uh, FIFA assistant referee, uh, as well as a, a current uh, U.S. soccer national uh, instructor and assessor and MLS assessor at that time and CONCACAF assessor. I mean, he was... I mean, he was uh, an incredible person to meet as I was coming up. He was very tough, very tough. But, he, you know, looking back, he was tough for a reason because we knew if we could um, uh, survive his two-and-a-half-hour debrief sessions uh, of what we did wrong in a game, which we thought we did great, uh, and be able to implement that, uh, we, were, we were well on our way to, uh, to moving up the ladder. So, you know, with academies – uh, local mentors, uh, you know, the referee world is, I will say, a very supportive, tight-knit, like, family, where, you know, everybody wants to help each other out, and whether that be at the high school level, the collegiate level, the youth level, you know, everybody's looking to help each other out, which I think is fantastic. So, Lance, as, as you've kind of gone along here, um, you know, I, I hear some people that want to go in and be like their full-time job as a ref. You know, I, I'm working up here. I've kind of worked with uh, in some organizations. We have some refs that want to become full-time refs. What does that pathway look like? How can these, how can these young, you know, kids or young people that are trying to find that as a profession, what do they need to do to progress to make that happen? And, and how long down the road or, or how much time does that take to, to accomplish that kind of goal? It's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of sacrifice. I mean, I can tell you, you know, I, I was never a professional referee where it was my only job, uh, but just, you know, advancing through the ranks of going to regional tournaments, going to youth national events, going to, you know, collegiate championship events, that takes time. And it takes time away from family. It takes time away from birthdays. 
from holidays because typically uh, the events, the showcase events are during, you know, the holiday times or during the summer break. Uh, you know, so I was very fortunate being a school teacher at the time that, you know, my breaks fell in line with the, 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 the events. So I didn't really have to take too much time off of work or beg my boss to, to, to get away from, from work to go. Um, so it, it really takes a commitment, dedication, honesty amongst yourself, um, whether or not uh, you have what it takes, because there is a skill set. There are some intangibles that, you know, you know like that you, that you really think about, do you have it? Do you have what it takes? But also you got to be realistic. You got to be a goal setter. And you got to be willing to accomplish, you know, do what it takes to accomplish those goals and make the sacrifices. It's extremely difficult now because at the professional referee level, um, they are full-time careers. The, the individuals working in the MLS at the referee level are full-time. They've made a lot of sacrifice to get there. And, you know, they are uh, in a situation where they can commit their full, dedicated, undivided attention to getting better as a referee. Whereas when you're climbing the ranks, you're juggling a lot of different uh, responsibilities uh, just to get a, a sniff of the professional level. So uh, it's not for everybody, but I will highly recommend that if this is a, a goal of yours, then you should you know, go full throttle to uh, try to accomplish it. Now, Lance, I, I know it's about a year since you started your position at CONCACAF. Can you kind of explain to everybody what your role with CONCACAF is and really what kind of drew you to that position and, and you know, what kind of led you to, to that position as well. There's five of us where we have a staff of. So um, we are a small department, but we are a uh, extremely, extremely driven to help officials. You know, and, so, and we, have, we support 41 member associations throughout the North America, Central America, and the Caribbean regions. Uh, we coordinate with their head of refereeing in each one of their regions and member associations, as well as the FIFA regional development officers and instructors. Uh, we provide management support for all the CONCACAF referee events, courses, competitions. Uh, in terms of what I, my main focuses are, you know, I'm working on, I manage the, our development initiatives, uh, you know, such as the program of referee excellence. And this is a group of, typically it's about 14 referees from throughout our confederation that are on the projection to possibly one day become a FIFA referee because they have some of these intangibles of what it takes you know, being either being a good student of the game, having a high level fitness, uh, having a uh, what we call a dynamic personality when they're out on the field. Um, you know, so we we identify these individuals early, um, and they're typically between the ages of twenty to thirty, where we identify them early from their member associations, and we're able to provide them, you know, you know, two three week uh, courses throughout the year where they undergo fitness testing. Uh, this past year, we only had one because of COVID, but it was in February and it was in Toluca, Mexico, where we trained at uh, FMF's headquarters every day for three weeks, you know, and they, they were able to officiate, uh, you know, under 17, under 20 and some semi-professional level matches while they were in Mexico. Um, so it really helps them get a, an experience and get out of their comfort zone of, you know, their own country. In the, in the style of plays that they're used to seeing in their own country. 
Then I also support the Dallas Cup. We have a referee academy at Dallas Cup, CONCACAF does every year, where we, you know, provide additional educational opportunities and uh, game assignments to newer FIFA referees um, that, you know, are looking to be uh, identified and seen to move into our tiered program we have um, to one day hopefully work in a World Cup. Uh, at the same time, as I also support the FIFA, uh, the Futsal and Beach Championships, and uh, I also help create uh, educational content for our CONCACAF Center of Refereeing Excellence YouTube channel, which is new. Um, you know, it's something we decided to do during this year, during the pandemic, where we wanted to help educate not only soccer referees, but also the general public on, you know, the little nuances of, uh, of being a referee. You know, we are just concluding our, our offside mini series right now where we're doing offside gaining an advantage. Um, you know, so we have those for the public to see and we're, high, we're highlighting our referees and our assistant referees that are, uh, you know, demonstrating best practices too. And this, and was this something, is this been a role that you've always looked at that this is eventually where I want to be or within CONCACAF or was it something that it was created? Um, you know, how did that kind of come about? So this would have been probably back in, I want to say 2011, 12, maybe it must have been 2011 because we were, I, I was, I was still an active U S soccer referee. Uh, at that time it was called a state referee. Um, and CONCACAF, uh, you know, my, my current boss who, you know, come to find out, uh, you know, he was, you know, the director of officials, referees for manager or director of officials for CONCACAF back then as well. And he would host seminars for the World Cup candidates uh, at the, do you remember the, the hotel, the Holiday Inn yeah, Hotel yeah. in Fort Lauderdale, right? Oh, they yeah. had the soccer field there. Yep. So, uh, you know, that's where they would host a lot of their clinics, you know, it'd be a week long. So like I would take off work from teaching to go be local support down there. And by doing so, I got to sit in on the meetings uh, in the educational sessions and also participate on the field training, uh, and which you know, helped me tremendously as a referee uh, in terms of my growth. And then you know, it was really at that point, like I, I, I said to myself, you know, this is something I really want to do because I look at what CONCACAF does for its member associations within the confederation and what it does for its referees and how much support it provides. And, and it's really, um, you know, to help these referees achieve their goals is so satisfying to, to hear their stories. You know, everybody comes from a different background. Everybody um, has a different level of uh, understanding of football slash soccer. So if we can help them reach their goals, I mean, to me, that's the ultimate. And then, so, you know, it sounds like the, it, there's ongoing education, even even as you get in, even while you're in refereeing, and even to this day, you know, yourself, what can you kind of explain to us, I guess, where, where would somebody start? So, like, if, if, if Ed or I wanted to, to start to get into refereeing, you know, where, where does it all start? So U.S. soccer has, um, in this past couple of years, has transitioned to more of an online education. Uh, back when I was taking my entry-level course back in, what did I say, 2002, uh, it was 19 hours. And sometimes the 19 hours were spread across a weekend 
it was a Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. Other times it was spread across like three weeks where it was like two week, two weeknights a week for three weeks type of thing. Um, and then you had an in-person test you had to pass and, and then you got your, your certificate and you were on your way to getting, you know, contacting assigners, at, you know, begging for games because you, you wanted to go make some money, you know. Um, now it's transitioned to more online where it's modules online um, that you do at your, I believe, you know, typically do at your own pace. Um, but it's, it's more convenient for the official because you don't have to go anywhere. You can do it right from your home. Um, now, there are challenges to that as well, because you really don't get the experience of speaking to an instructor or uh, holding a flag or learning mechanics and things like that, um, except for when you go out there for your first game. You know, there's the, there's the little best practices that you don't get from the modules that you get from, you know, getting your experience. Um, you know, so that's where kind of where you would start. And then your natural process is really just, uh, learning from mistakes, you know, learning from others mistakes or learning from the senior officials that are, are out there either helping you or, or you're working with them, you know, and then you just kind of, you know, climb up the ranks, you know, become a high school referee, uh, you know, and then, you know, gain enough experience, you become a collegiate referee. And then, uh, you know, you just kind of Go to tournaments, be seen, and then next thing you know, you can advance your way up. So two, so two questions a part of that. So what was the, what was the overall premise from going from in person to online? Was it to kind of streamline uh, the education process and and be able to kind of um, keep that database, or you know what what was what was that one? And then secondly, just like coaching licenses, there's there's a E, there's a D, there's an you know. CB is that is that the way the refereeing is is it a leveled um, path? Great questions. Uh, I'll answer the first question uh, first. Uh, so I think you know I think it was two folds why everything transitioned online. One to have a more consistent uh, educational message because we all know that uh, if you have five different instructors going to teach the same thing, they're not going to teach the same thing. It's a different style, maybe a different emphasis um, and whatnot. And then additionally too is, you know, casting a, a larger uh, net for referees. You know, uh, there was a point in time where um, pre-COVID where, you know, there was, you know, nobody still wanted to go and dedicate the time to go to a course. And, you know, we're losing referees. And by the time you're starting to lose referees, now it's starting to hurt the game. Because instead of having a crew of three officials on, on a match, you know, a U12 game, you maybe you're getting two, and then you have to have, ask for a parent to be a club linesman. You know, and, and that's just never a good, you don't want to put a parent in that position, and, you know, and you never want to put your referee crew in that position. So, um, you know, the game must go on, obviously. But at the same time is, you know, if we can field an entire crew, it's best for everybody. Um, so it really was recruitment as well. And, and the, you know, the state of Florida saw a, uh, a drastic increase when they went online because of that. So it's kind of changed over the years. Like it went from a number system where it was like a nine through one, where one was FIFA referee, two was FIFA assistant referee, three and four were national referees, five and six were state referees, and then seven and eight were 
just regular referees and then nine was more of like a youth referee. Okay. Okay. Uh, and it's kind of evolved over the time, the, you know, where it currently it states as uh, it's grassroots referees, then it's regional referees, and then it's national referees. And then of course, FIFA referees, but there's also the professional level too, which fits in between the FIFA and the uh, nationals. So they've, you know, they, um, and that's just for U.S. soccer, right? Like every country has a different way of doing things. Um, it's very uh personally, I think it's very difficult to find one system that uh, checks all the boxes because of how, you know, vast our country is and the different uh, levels of play we have in each uh, state, you know, where, you know, you're, you know, we're very fortunate in Florida to have a strong adult uh, leagues, whereas other states, when we can play year round, whereas other states can't play year round and, and maybe their seasons are a lot shorter. So it's very difficult. So with the, uh, with the refereeing there, Lance, and the, the change, does everyone have to start at that grassroots level? Or if you have playing experience or if you have coaching experience, something like that, can you bypass any of that? Or is that the same for everyone? So everybody starts at the grassroots level to, to build that foundation. Um, and then as you advance through, uh, typically players and coaches advance quicker through the through the process and through the ranks and the, the grading system uh and that's just because of the their knowledge of the game you know and and their feel for the game you know that's something we we stress at the CONCACAF level especially is you know being able to feel the game football understanding you know that's that's the big catchphrase and the big educational uh, uh teaching at uh at FIFA is you know that football understanding you know being preventative, using dynamic personality to diffuse situations, things like that. And, uh, and that's where we see uh, a great amount of success with coaches and former players. And it's something I, I, I've always been uh, you know, supportive of is players becoming referees. Because even if they're not doing a whole lot of refereeing and they're still focused on playing, they're going to become better players by uh, becoming more familiar with the laws of the game. And, and they can develop that uh, competitive edge because they understand the laws of the game that are being enforced uh, versus, you know, whether it be teammates or the opponents who are just out there um, just, you know, playing the game itself. And the same with coaches, you know, with strategies. You know, some of my, uh, my best friends who are referees are also coaches. And, you know, they've really you know, they're able to make adjustments faster and identify them uh, much earlier in the match um, based on their knowledge of the laws of the game and how the referee is interpreting and, you know, implying those laws of the game in that match. Yeah, it's, it's funny you bring that up because there, I've always had, I've always been fortunate to have like one or two players on my college team that were refereeing or you know doing doing that whether it's in high school games club games so it was we'd always run we'd always start doing set pieces or do some sort of tactical thing and I'd always turn to him and be like can I do this <laughs> you, you just you know like starting a player off sides on a set piece and then you know like doing different things and you just turn to him and you're like this is allowed right <laughs> so it was always a it was always an interesting benefit of having somebody that you know, understood the game and then was, was working on being a referee as well. Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, one day you'll see it, um, 
whether it be at the you know professional level or the collegiate level or even at the at the club level where you're there you know they'll have some sort of resource for these coaches to be able to um understand the laws of the game in more detail um you know where um we were out, out, like um, when i first this probably have been about maybe seven or eight years ago um uh, christina uncle who does some uh play uh, you know uh, rules expert for fox uh, her and I started a club referee trainer program in the state where we would go out to uh, Hope Sound, Royal Palm Beach, uh, and some of the clubs like that. And we would provide our mentor services to, to the referees that were just starting out. And one of the things we would do is we would host, um, you know, just maybe a, a couple nights a season. We would host kind of like a, a, a laws of the game overview, you know, a Cliff Notes version for the coaches. And then a Q&A session for the coaches to be able to ask questions. Is this allowed? Is this not allowed? And things like that. And, you know, the feedback we received on that was tremendous support for it because the coaches felt like, you know, they knew the referees were out there getting help, getting assistance. Um, and they were more understanding of mistakes they were making. But at the same time as they felt that um, they understood the game just uh, maybe a little bit more because they were able to have that football understanding and utilize that uh, in their coaching uh, that they were able to relay back to us. So it was really a win-win and, you know, South Florida United uh, league, you know, Mike Weber, God bless his soul, you know, kind of ran with that idea of, of using that mentor program, not just for the referees, but also for the club coaches to help them. That's fantastic. So Lance for, for um, you know, these, people where, you know, we have listeners from all across the nation is, is it pretty much the same from state to state and nation to nation for referees as to far as the organizations they need to be a, mem a member of um, to receive their education or does it vary or do you recommend certain, you know, organizations or certain accrediting bodies? I'm not sure how it works for referees as, you know, as it does with coaches and, and such as different coaching associations for the states and for nationally, is it the same way for referees and what do you recommend these um, referees to join to maybe get to your level at some point? Very similar. Um, you know, everything, you know, goes through uh, U.S. soccer to become a referee. Um, you know, we highly encourage everybody to, you know, that's interested in becoming a referee because U.S. soccer, you know, is the governing body here in the United States when it comes to, uh, you know, youth soccer per se. Um, so, you know, we always encourage that because, you know, it's really, it goes from U six, all the, you know, under six to under twenties, you know, and then you've got the different amateur divisions and whatnot. So, you know, we, I encourage that to be a starting spot, you know, as well as high school soccer, you know, each state has a different high school association that they belong, you know, but they all belong to the national federation and they all have different little requirements, uh, and, and, and so you really have to check out your, your state's website for that. But I encourage people to become high school referees because that's where you're going to get exposed to uh, a little bit uh, more competitive soccer because there's a lot of passion when it comes to, you know, school rivalries and whatnot. Uh, it may not be the best soccer as compared to youth soccer where you've got, you know, you're getting coaches are paid, that's their profession, and they're there to develop players but there's a lot of passion and there's a lot of challenges when it comes to refereeing high school soccer, because you have, you have this wide range of, um, of, of commitment from players. You know, some are playing year round, others are uh, playing three sports a year, uh, you know, for each season. Um, so, you know, we encourage that too. And then, you know, at the collegiate level, it's, um, 
you know, the NCAA is the governing body for that. But in terms of the officials, it's um, NISOA, the National Intercollegiate Soccer Official Association, that's been around for 50, like 58 years now. Um, and, and for them where, you know, they handle the majority of the referee education, they have uh, chapters, there's over like a, over 100 chapters throughout the country where uh, you can join and that's where you do, you know, fitness testing, education and things like that and, you know, work with local assigners. So, um, you know, I encourage everyone to start at the U.S. soccer level and then also branch out into high school and then, you know, collegiate soccer. Lance, going into a topic that, that I'm really interested, I know Ed's interested in, in talking to you about as well. So, you know, kind of segueing into to a little bit of a different thing. In-game philosophy in terms of when you're refereeing a game, when you're preparing for a game, um, I guess, what is your philosophy when you're preparing to referee a game? Any level, college, you've ref some bit, you know, big, big games. Um, and then does that philosophy ever change? You know, you've ref games on TV, you've ref, you know, so many different levels, you know, when, when does that, you know, preparation change? You know, I just like the insight of, of what kind of goes through, uh, you know, really getting ready to, uh, to call a game. So like, you know, I look at it very similar to coaches, you know, coaches are scouting one other team. You know, whereas referees, we're scouting two teams and, you know, we're scouting who are the, who are the playmakers, who are the best players out there. Um, you know, we're also scouting the coaches, like what's, how is this coach? Is this coach, you know, you know, we look at the records, you know, uh, is this coach on the hot seat? Uh, you know, what's the reputation of this coach? Is this coach reasonable? Is this coach, uh, 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 boisterous at times, you know, things like that. Um, we always, cause you always have to have a game plan. Now, even though you go into the game with a game plan, you got to be able to make adjustments, have to be able to make adjustments on the fly. And you, you know, you look at the first and the, the quicker you can make these adjustments, the better the match is going to go, you know, for, for a match to be called the same from minute one to minute 90 in a perfect world. Yes. But we also know too, that, you know, teams make adjustments at halftime. Um, so referee crews talk at halftime and we, we try to figure out, okay, are things going well? Can they go better? If they're not going very well, how can we adjust to make, um, make it go better? Um, you know, and, and then, you know, even during the match, like we try to make adjustments, um, you know, we look at the tactics of the teams, you know, the substitutions, who's coming in, who's coming out, um, how that alters, uh, the team's identity, you know, when they're playing, uh, you know, these are all things we look at, you know, at the collegiate level and also the professional level, the professional level, you know, we, we, we utilize a, um, a software called Y Scout where, where Y Scout allows us to, to look at, you know, you know, team profiles and, and look at, you know, where, where on the field do teams, you know, uh, play most of their, you know, like passes through and possession based and whatnot. So, you know, our referees utilize that information as, as a guide, not necessarily the end all be all, but it's a guide for them to come up with a game plan. And like I said, you have to be able to adjust the game plan. You know, everybody's like Mike Tyson says, right? Like everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Yep. And you know what? I've been punched in the face in games where I've had a kickoff, turn around, the guy kicks the ball, and I happen to be in the way, and I got hit in the face. 
So that was 12 seconds into one of my games. And I was like, okay, I need to make some adjustments and I need to be ready. And that taught me is I need to be ready and be able to be ready before the whistle starts, you know, don't take anything for granted. And then with, so, I mean, that's, that's fantastic in terms of being able, you have to make it, you can go in with a game plan, but making adjustments is a must is it difficult? You know, we opened obviously the episode with, with discussing that I think every, every coach, every parent thinks that, you know, referees are robots and they just, you know, they just, you know, run around, they should get every call hundred percent right. And they, you know, the way they view the game, is it difficult when you go into games where you've refereed the team or the coach before, and you've had run-ins with that, with that coach or a player from the team and just in terms of just verbal confrontations from, the coaching staff from that, you know, from their side of it. Um, is it hard to kind of put that aside or do you just kind of keep just go and put the blinders on and go? I mean, how does that all work? <laughs> I, I think when you're a, a younger official and when you're starting out, um, you have a, we have a tendency of wanting, you know, wanting to be liked. You know, we want to be liked by the teams. We want to be liked by the coaches, things like that. And then as you, progress through the ranks and as you get a little bit more experience and a little bit more confidence um and 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 a a deeper understanding of the laws of the game um then that likability turns into your reputation like you want your rep your reputation always precedes you and when i first started out i used to look at individuals that we had in our uh our local area uh reggie ruddy who refereed in the mls Rob Mann, who's also in the MLS. Um, you know, I see one of my mentors, Juan Kalb. Uh, and I look at these guys, I'm like, how is it that when they go referee a game and it's a tough game, the players respect them, the coaches respect them, and the, and the decisions don't always go the players and coaches' ways. But how, how is that? And so I always ask those questions, and they always talked about develop your reputation, your reputation. You know, and if you're fair... You, may, you don't always have to agree, but if you're fair and you're doing what's in the best interest of the game and it's not about you as a referee, then you're going to go, it, you're, you're going to, you're going to survive in advance. Yeah. And, and, you know, coaches are, you know, the coaching community is a tight knit community, just like the referee community is a tight knit community. Yeah. And you're going to see each other again at some point and you have to be able to just push it aside and not take it personal and move on. But how do you move on is you move on with a stellar performance the next game. That's how you move on. Otherwise, you're going to compound, you know, mistake after mistake. And then that's when you lose that credibility. It's so funny that you bring up the reputation part of it, because honestly, I probably didn't even think about it until just now that when you obviously coaching in college, you know, coaching club, you don't necessarily get the list of referees prior to the game. You know, you don't, you don't get an email saying, Hey, these are going to be your referees for your U15 game tomorrow night or whatever. Um, obviously in the college game, we always got that list, but it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because you do all, you always have that initial, Oh, this person's got my center. These two are my ARs. And then you have that initial thought of, okay, this is how the game might go. And, and like you said, you have that reputation in mind as well, you know, and it's, like you said, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I never really thought of it until just now that it, every time I saw the email with the, with the, the group of, of referees, it was like, okay, you know what kind of game it was going to be or might be. 
and then you knew kind of where your communication barriers were and boundaries were. Absolutely. And I, I look at it back when I was a player too, when I was back playing high school, like I still remember some of my referees and I remember the really good ones, the ones who I really appreciated. Um, in reality, I, I appreciate them because of their communication skills. You know, they may not have been the best referee, but they were, they were humble. They, if they made a mistake, they would admit it. Now you can't admit more than one mistake per team, you know, each game or, a, you know, a, a major decision, but they were humble about it. They were um, approachable. But then I also remember the really bad ones. And because of, they were the total opposite of that. I mean, when I, when I was in college playing, uh, I mean, I still remember that to this day, and this was almost 20 years ago where we would see one, you know, a particular referee come up to the game and my coach would just, you know, shrug his shoulders, put his hand on his head and say, okay, guys, you know, it's 13 or it's 12 against 11 now, you know, make comments like that where, you know, for me as a player, I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I guess this person's bad. You know, it's not until I became a referee that I realized uh, perception is reality. You know, how you're perceived is, is, is reality of how things are going to go. And, you know, you want to be that, I've always strived to be that referee that, you know, win, lose, or draw, you know, both teams get a fair shake. You know, there's a stigma in college where the away team thinks they're already starting one goal down, you know, or in the hole, you know, so I've always tried to make that my personal mission is that, you know, I want the away team to come out and feel like they got a fair shake. And for me, the biggest compliment that I receive is when I have the losing team come to me and, and, the, and the coach come to me and tell me, ref, we lost, but you did a great job. We got a fair shake, you know, and I'm not perfect by any means. Um, but at the same time as I like to, you know, to me, that is the ultimate compliment. So Lance, uh, you've done some incredible games. You've, you have quite the experience. Um, you know, what is the experience like? What's the most memorable experience you've had as a ref? Um, you know, is there one certain game that stands out and why? Oh man, Ed, that's a, that's a tough one because like, you know, I've got, like, I'm the type of person that remembers like all my games. Like, regardless if they were championship games or not, like, I remember them all. And I typically remember who I worked with. Let um, me stop you there. I'm sorry for whatever I did to you <laughs> then. If you remember all the games, uh, yeah. No, that's good. You, you were a former goalkeeper, right? So, and that was me too. So, you know, us goalkeepers, we're, we're a little different uh, when it comes to that stuff. So, but, you know, at the collegiate, you know, at the collegiate level it would have to be my national women's division one national championship matches, 2015 um, Duke versus Penn state in 2018, I think, or no, 2015 and 2000, 18, where it was uh, Florida State, North Carolina. Uh, they both of those were very special to me because they were you. They were both played in Cary at Wake Med Stadium, uh, where you had you know we had a, local teams in each at each year playing, so the stadium was packed. Um, you know you had you know sold out for both those games. You know close to twelve thousand spectators. Um, so the atmosphere was you know tremendous. Uh, you know, I went to the Futsal World Cup in 2016 as a FIFA Futsal referee in, in Colombia, and the atmosphere there was incredible. Uh, same with the Youth Olympics in Argentina in 2018 was incredible. But, you know, it's, for me, my most memorable games are working with my friends, you know, working matches with my brother, you know, and we still uh, have that opportunity 
it's, we had that opportunity more often back when we were both coming up the ranks, but now that we've both kind of taken different paths, right? More of an administrative path. Um, and he is still a national assistant referee with us soccer. Uh, you know, so we still do, are able to work some collegiate matches together. And to me, those are, those are our best times because we really, uh, we really push each other, you know, both on and off the field, whether it be fitness, whether it be uh, knowledge of the laws of the game or the rules for NCAA, you know, and, you know, we have, we have a great time, you know, after the game too, where we can talk about scenarios, you know, why did you do this? Or, you know, Hey Lance, I think you screwed that up. And then I have to explain to him, I'm the older brother. So I never screw up, you know, that type of mentality. Um, but I, I'm starting to realize in my, I'm at a point in my career where, um, matches like the, 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 the championship matches and things like that for me don't are not as important as, um, working with family and also working with my friends. Um, and I got a taste of that this year when I, you know, I typically travel a lot for the collegiate game working for the power five conferences, but this year, um, because of COVID, uh, I decided to only stay local and work, uh, you know, local, local matches. So I got to work a lot of NAIA games. Yep. On, a, on a consistent basis where I got to referee a lot with my friends. Yep. And, you know, I, I've always told people, you know, I've learned more after a game with my peers than I have during the game. And it's just because of the open dialogue and communication that we have with one another after the game. Why did you do this? Why did, why, how come you didn't do that? You know, the thought process behind it that I, that I really feel is where, where the learning starts, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, again, just kind of jumping on, on the comments that you, you made earlier and just now, it's, it's always been when you have a crew that, that refs your game that you know are friends and know each other, those do seem to be the better, you know, I'm not saying that's, that's always uh, the case in terms of you can always make it happen because obviously assigners have to get certain games assigned, so it's not like they can – make that you know uh three referees all oh, you guys got to be friends but i have seen that hey when the referees do feel comfortable with each other and they've ref matches together um that level just seems to to be a lot more comfortable and uh and as a coach it just it seems like it's a smoother uh referee game and then going to your communication part uh you're absolutely right i i there's many games that I can remember good referees and it was all communication based, not, not necessarily that they got hundred percent of the calls that I think should have been called. Right. It was really just communication was great. You know, there's been games that I walk away. I'm like, man, I'm like, I have so much respect for that, that referee. We lost three to one or whatever, but there, the, the respect level was there. Is there, so going back to the in-game, is there, not necessarily boundaries, but I mean, I guess we get in, we're, we're in this age where I don't know whether as coaches, we just feel it's our right to, you know, berate a referee, you know, <laughs> yell at a referee. I don't, you know, like, I don't want to make it sound the wrong way, but it just seems like no matter where you go now, um, it's like, that's our way. And I know some coaches even feel like it's the way that we back up our players. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I'm showing my player that I have their back um, going after this referee. Is there an ideal, and obviously there, there's probably no perfect way to communicate this, but is there an ideal communication between 
coaches and referees. Obviously, years ago, they went away from the, the coach being able to approach the referee at halftime. Um, you know, so that was that was maybe one of those medians where a, a, a coach was like, okay, I'm not going to ask them this now, but maybe I ask them at halftime. But obviously, I totally understand why they went away from they, – they made that uh, a non-negotiable. But are there, are there tips that you can give to coaches, um, whether at the youth level, college level, whatever, on, you know, maybe more effective techniques of communi- communicating with a referee? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's all about the partnership, right? Like, Eric, you, you and I have discussed this before, where it's a, you know, referee-coach partnership for the players, you know, it's for the players. Like we need to, you know, stress that. And, and, you know, we're not adversaries. We're both here for the same reason. And that's why I encourage, um, you know, at the collegiate level, especially with these college chapters uh, with my work with NISOA is, you know, in, invite these college coaches to your meetings, invite them there. You know, a lot of times these, you know, the coaches, you know, they only know what they know because they're worried about preparing their team. But if they get a little, just like us, we as referees, if we got some insight on coaches and the amount of dedication and time and commitment that coaches put in, wow, that's a newfound respect, you know, and, and, and that's a newfound respect as a referee, uh, you know, preparing for that match, you know, the amount of time and effort. And that's the same on the flip side. You know, if we allow coaches to, uh, you know, invite them as a special guest to our meetings, um, and they can see like, you know, like Eric, I had set up with you and a couple other coaches as a panel, um, you know, where we got, you know, we got the, the referees got to ask questions to the coaches and it was done in a positive manner. And at the same time is you, the coaches get to see that there is a level of commitment from the referees. That's not, I just get out of my car an hour before the game and put a uniform on and go out and referee. Like there's training that goes in, there's video analysis, there's fitness tasks, there's monthly meetings, you know, things like that, that go into preparation. So that way you can, you know, be successful on the field. Uh, When it comes to, in terms of communication on the field, you know, one thing I have stressed that has helped me in my career in communicating. And one thing I passed down for my referees is a book called The Art of uh, Verbal Judo. And it's The Art of Persuasion. And in reality, is it's just helping with interpersonal communication skills. You know, how do you talk to people? How Conflict resolution. If somebody's upset, how do you bring them down? Okay, and, and let them hear you. Uh, and it's really with the coaches too. It's like you get more bees with honey than you do vinegar. If you're that coach that uh, is always difficult, is always screaming, uh, you're probably not going to be heard as much, or the 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 uh, you know you're going to be handled in a way that you know is going to result in uh, misconduct, or it's not going to be a good resolution, you know. So it's really, it's it's how you say things, really goes a long way. Yeah. And I think if you, if you ask questions and allow referees the ability to answer those questions, and you may not agree with the answer, you may not agree with it, but just know it's not going to change. But now you've opened the communication dialogue to something more professional, more open. So the referee is more likely to listen when you have complaints as opposed to shutting you off because all you've been doing is screaming for, for 90 minutes or 89 minutes. Um, so there's a little bit of that too. 
uh, you know, I've always been one that we teach our referees always to listen, always be a listener, regardless of the volume that's being used, be a listener because coaches are looking from the outside in and, and there's a lot of truth what it, for what is said. And, you know, you have to be able to, to take what is being said that's done in a professional, constructive manner um, and be able to, you know, you know, analyze it and process it. You know, one, one thing we always say is, you know, don't make it personal. You know, don't make it personal. You know, you, we can disagree, agree to disagree, but just don't make it personal because, you know, ultimately I don't care who wins. Yeah. I'm just out here to give a fair game and I have bad days too. Just like everybody else. Yeah. But I hope my bad days are far and few and the bad, the poor decisions that I make are not going to impact the outcome of the match. It may be a throw in at midfield that maybe, you know, Eric, the ball goes out by you and I point Ed's direction and you're like, how is that his? I'm looking right at it. And you're probably right. But based on the angle I had, this is. Yeah. This is what I had. And, and you have to understand there are things that are going to be inconsequential that are going to occur in a match. Then there are things that are going to be extremely game critical. Yeah. And, and that's where you got to really read the big picture. What's the big picture of the game? Let's not sweat the small stuff. Let's make sure we get the big stuff correct. Yeah. It's so funny because I, I would think that as I prepare, you know, as Ed and I went through the questions in terms of preparing for this episode, you think you would have a, like a, a decent vision of like, your your coaching career in terms of your relationship with referees but as you talk I'm like I'm going through almost every game like you said I'm like oh man you know this and this obviously I was never big on on you know getting all you know yelling at referees that was never my unless I was playing Ed in South Carolina um <laughs> but there was it was really like for me so two things so like I I knew whenever like my first initial comment to a referee, if it was shot down with like a no or like a demonstrative no, like that was where I was like, okay, this is going to be a long day because, you know, like I didn't even get a, not about a throw in. It was like about a set, you know, whether it was a penalty, mm -hmm. kick, you know, just that, that explanation. Um, you know, those, those were moments where as a coach, I was like, man, I really wish I would have gotten at least come over, just explain it to me. I'm not going to get in, you know, in your face about it. I just want a simple explanation, but maybe that's where that defensive, um, part comes in, but then even the second part, and Ed's been on the conference calls as well because uh, you know I was the chair of our conference for for a couple years, um, and we would have the conference call, and it would the the first topic that would come up is the referee assigners and the referees of the of the conference and how they did, and I always felt like I was pretty useless with it because I felt like the referees did a fairly you know a decent a decent job and a fair job. Um, because I don't know, I mean, Ed would probably agree with this. I just think the professionalism and the, and the way referees have continued to prepare, uh, the last few years has just been really impressive to me. Um, and the consistency within that refereeing has been something that I've seen over maybe the probably between the last five and seven years. So I don't know if there was a, a an educational shift or anything like that, but I think it just became, I don't know whether the, you know, we just, you know, we talk about the paper game and the conferences and things like that. Maybe that changed it a little bit. But like I said, I just thought the preparation was was on point and, and I always respected that preparation, like you said, seeing that side of it. 
Yeah, and the educational, I mean, I think you're going to see a, another uh, major shift uh, coming up here in the next, you know, three to five years with uh, the, the educational, you know, resources that have gone into, you know, sports officials, um, especially during COVID times, right? Like, you know, before COVID, the only time we, we would be able to do education typically was in person, which required a commitment. Um, you know, now we can do, I can't tell you how many Zoom calls I've been on, uh, whether it be for, you know, uh, the NCAA, for college soccer, for CONCACAF, um, you know, we have done, you know, we've really shifted and we've also, you know, provided these educational opportunities for, for, for all, um, you know, I just look at CONCACAF, you know, what I've been, you know, what help what we've helped achieve there is, you know, we developed a, a center of refereeing excellence where it's our online educational portal where we have our referees for the past 32 weeks, they've gone on and taken, uh, you know, what you would say a video quiz, video clip quiz, which really it was, it, it was graded, but it was just graded for data. It wasn't graded like, Hey, you know, you, you got this wrong. So you can't do a game type of thing. It was more for educational purposes. And then we would provide those five clips with, a, um, you know, a PowerPoint of uh, educational analysis there where our FIFA, one of our FIFA instructors would go through uh, the five clips the following week with our 150 FIFA tiered referees. And then in between there, the referees would have um, uh, discussion boards. And these were all closed discussion boards, closed to the public, only open, available for them, where they'd be able to go on and explain their reasonings and their answers with the FIFA instructor being the moderator. So, you know, that was a way for us to really stimulate and engage our officials at the CONCACAF level uh, from March until just the beginning of December, um, you know, as well as different, uh, you know, sports science fitness calls, you know, webinars and stuff like that. Because we knew when we returned to play that nobody was going to give us a pass. We had to be ready and we had to be prepared. And I think, uh, you know, since CONCACAF League has started and hopefully, uh, we know, when Champions League restarts uh, next week, uh, you're going to see uh, and you have seen uh, referees that are uh, outstanding in their performances and their fitness levels because of the preparation and the technology and the resources we provided them. You know, then at the college level, you know, you've got very similar things where there's a lot of education that's being put out there uh, in terms of video clips that uh, an analysis that's being used that you are, uh, you're going to see more of a consistent application of the rules. Um, Cause that's always been really a struggle, you know, how, how rules were applied um, in different parts of the country, you know, and based, and that was based on, you know, the educational uh, 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 strength in those areas. Um, so, you know, that's really changing too and become a more of a holistic approach. So I, I think in the next three to five years, you're going to, you're going to see some high level, you're going to see more high level officiating at more of a consistent uh, level. So with all this going on, Lance, it's awesome. I, I, this conversation has been great. I've been quiet for the most part just because I'm reflecting and um, yeah, uh, thinking about things a little bit differently. But um, as we go on here, as we finish up, um, can you discuss a little bit about CONCACAF, uh, what CONCACAF is doing to help prepare referees for return to play? You kind of hit on it here with all your, um, you know, the discussion boards and the center of excellence and all that. But are there other things that they're doing um, 
you know, maybe, uh, you know, to help better prepare the, the, for them, like on the field of play and, and preparing them that way. So one of the, uh, you know, one of my responsibilities is the sports science program at CONCACAF. And we have an, we have an excellent team of all things performance, ATP led by Matt Hockey. And uh, it's, it's phenomenal what he's been able to do to keep our officials uh, fit and not only just keep them fit, but also improve their fitness levels. Um, this year we onboarded our female uh, officials. Uh, so we have a total of 75, about 75 individuals that are part of this program. Um, and so it's been challenging because of different uh, government restrictions in different countries, you know, certain countries have been locked down different periods. Um, but, you know, uh, our sports science program has, has done a tremendous, tremendous uh, progressions uh, in terms of uh, getting the referees ready to restart play. And, and we've really um, seen that in action when, with CONCACAF League starting up where, you know, some of the things we stress is, you know, make the first foul bigger, um, you know, have presence, be dynamic, sprinting ability you know, things like that, um, you know, be close to the penalty area when, when play is there for control, uh, you know, where our officials, you know, have been excelling in that, uh, especially since the restart of play. So I think just by giving them these resources and giving them these tools to utilize during the pandemic has allowed them to uh, really focus in and, 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 and rededicate themselves to uh to excellence because that's that's one of the biggest things we talk about at CONCACAF excellence we want excellence every time referees step on the field we actually wear it on our sleeves on our jerseys when you watch the gold cup or watch the champions league you're going to see referees have excellence on their jerseys because that's what we we live by and excellence in the classroom excellence in you know our sports science program but we're also looking for excellent people you know uh we want excellent people. And, and, and that's something that, you know, uh, my director, Brian Hall has stressed since day one is you can be a good referee, but if you're a person with, without integrity, if you're a person that cannot be trusted, then there is no place for you in our, our program. But if you're a good referee, but you're a great person, you're humble, you're eager, you're coachable, you've got a great attitude, you're a team player, Oh, there's a spot on our team for you, 100%, because we can teach you to be a better referee, but we can't teach you to be a better person. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was interesting to see, you know, when even when the MLS did their MLS's back tournament um, back, I guess, a couple months ago at this point, um, as soon hey, we all talked about how rusty the players were going to look, the, the teams were going to look, because it was kind of a shortened preseason jumping into the tournament. And, and you mentioned it a couple comments ago. It was I was very interested to see how the referees were going to do in the, in a live tournament for the first time in in a few months. They were all all of a sudden going to be thrown into this situation where, you know, now you've got these you know pro soccer players running into each other. They haven't they probably haven't seen a live tackle in in months. Um, and and like I said, it was it was an enjoyable tournament to watch. So obviously, it goes goes back to that education uh, part that you've been you've been talking about and discussing. And that's the, and Eric, that Eric, that's the incredible part too, is at the, at the MLS level with PRO that manages their officials and at the CONCACAF level, uh, you know, these officials are getting custom workouts, programming workouts that are specific to their needs 
um, that are specific to their responses to the workouts. Um, you know, they're specific to their schedules uh, and things like that. Like it is, it's so detailed now where, you know, because uh, the referees are looked at, you know, athletes mm-hmm. and, 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 and the players are getting faster, you know, so, and the referees are getting older. So how do we help close that gap, you know, of, of being dynamic and it's providing these special programs. And, you know, it's incredible. Like you said, like I remember watching the first couple of games of MLS as, as back cup and, you know, you could tell that the players were rusty, you know, with passes and whatnot. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the referees were, were all over the place, you know, all over the place. They were ready. And, you know, cause let's be honest, when, when the referee does something poor, everybody sees it. Yep. When the referee does something great, nobody sees it. And that's okay. Yep. Because, you know, we, we want to, we, it's, we want to be remembered for the good things and not remembered for the poor things we do. Yeah. And then going, going into issues, and this is, you know, pre COVID, because obviously there's, there's gotta be, you know, issues, whether it's preparation or the education part of how do you, you know, how do you do it, um, you know, now, but I guess, what are some of the issues that referees have been facing, you know, like I said, pre-COVID, is it like parents on the sideline, coaching communication, are there issues? And then, you know, those issues, are there ways in your eyes that we resolve those issues? At, at the youth level, for sure. It's, you know, parents have always been an issue. Um, you know, I, I mean, even when I was just a spectator watching my brother's games, you know, I look back and reflect and I'm like, man, like, you know, like I wasn't the most behaved spectator at times when I felt I saw an an injustice going on out there. Um, So, I mean, it's about educating though. It's about educating the parents And, and, and we, and we as referees have to understand that we're not just there to blow a whistle or point a flag. Uh, we're also there to to help facilitate this education. And we don't expect the the parents to know everything. We don't expect the players to know everything. We don't expect the coaches to know everything. But when the situation presents itself where we can be the teacher, we need to take that opportunity. That's what we need to do. And especially with the laws changing as much as they have and, and progressing, you know, nobody's getting the education except for the, the, the referees. So we need to be the ones to help trickle that down and facilitate it. And I, I always felt that, you know, one thing that I thought youth clubs, um, some youth clubs do a great job of is educating their parents. You know, they have referee night where, you know, they invite the parents out there, they invite the coaches and, you know, maybe it's just an hour of a, a question and answer session. Maybe it's, you know, uh, here are the points of emphasis this year that we want to cover um, you know, and, you know, having, you know, field marshals or, you know, club marshals there at matches and things like that, where things go wrong, you know, they can go talk to them, the adult, as opposed to yelling at the 14 year old that's on the sideline, you know, it's like, you know, what's going to happen to this 14 year old that's their first game and they're getting yelled at for 50 minutes. I mean, they're probably not going to come back and that's where we, we lose officials. Um, you know, imagine if we did that with players where if a player makes a mistake at, you know, age 12 and their, you know, coaches yelling at them from, from start to finish, you know, that, that, that player is not going to want to come to practice. And that's what we we experienced too with, with refereeing. And, and of course we're going to make mistakes. Of course we are, you know, 
Um, but there is a human side of it too that, you know, Hey, it, what if that was my child? Like, would I appreciate if somebody was yelling at my child like that? Probably not. There, there's, there's a more constructive way to do it. And that's through the club and through education because clubs, clubs focus on coach development. They focus on player development, you know, and it, it, it comes to a time where, you know, referee development has to be there as well. Um, in, in order for everything to, uh, to, to work its way up and, and progress. Yeah, such, a, such tremendous ideas. I mean, it's just, again, going back to it, it's, it's really all about education. Like you said, I mean, it's been, as coaches, it's so tough sometimes because obviously we, we don't help the situation sometimes getting on referees, but there's many times where I'm at youth games and I'm like, you see a quality referee that's getting yelled at by coaches, parents, by the players. And you, you could see that deflated, you know, referee that you're like, man, I just, I want you to keep sticking to this. And that's where sometimes moments where I'll, I'll try to catch them at the end. And it's been like, Hey, you did a tremendous job, you know, zone out all that other, the criticism and really stick with it because we complain as coaches about getting quality referees yet. We're the first ones maybe to, to force them out sometimes with the way we treat them. Um, and it's definitely been interesting now, you know, with COVID, with the restrictions, like my club team played at a park last night that parents weren't allowed into the park, you know? So you're going into a lot of different places where obviously Ed's in Utah, his, you know, I don't know the restrictions up there, but you're going into some, some places here in Florida where parents aren't allowed inside the gates of the park. So it is really, your team, the coaches and the referee, and that's, and that's all that you have within the park. So that's been a different dynamic all in itself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we're seeing that at the international level too, right? When, when you don't have spectators so in the stands, so true. you know, there's, there's, there's less fire in the yep. game. Very you know, true. there's less passion in the game. You know, the players are solid, they're playing and it's a different set of uh, management techniques because, you know, without the crowd to drown out the language that may be uh, being said on the field by the teams and the players and the coaches, like now it takes a different skill set to deal with that and when to deal with it, how to deal with it, um, you know, and things like that. So um, definitely the spectators um, create a different environment for uh, the teams and the referees. Um, it's just, I think at the, at the youth level, we need to, uh, figure out how can we make that environment healthier, you know, for all involved, because, you know, that's what it's all about is, you know, we're, we're all here for the players. Lance, as we, uh, finish up here, then this is awesome. I, I've enjoyed the conversation with you and hearing your, your thoughts and insight, but, um, as we finish up, if you could please, uh, maybe tell us how we can keep up with you. Maybe we can get some educational type stuff or keep up with CONCACAF, how, how we can learn. Um, but then also maybe share, you, you talk about verbal judo, but is there another, you know, resource out there that you like to use that maybe our listeners, um, who are mostly coaches, you know, um, can kind of check out and learn a little bit more about your profession and about, um, you know, the, the refereeing and how to handle those kinds of situations or how to promote it as a coach to their, their players, um, you know, as well. Well, I would, I would start off by saying, you know, some of the resources that, you know, can be utilized is, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about our CONCACAF Center of Refereeing Excellence YouTube channel. Um, on the channel, you know, we have a, you know, handful of videos on dynamic personality, advantage, uh, 
we're finishing the offside mini series, but we also highlight our referees doing great things. Um, you know, and we call that's our excellence in action too. And, you know, we do recap videos of the events and stuff like that, where, you know, you, you get to see the referees, you know, the, you know, the day in the life of a referee at a tournament, at a championship event and what that's like. And, you know, there's not a lot of free time between, between training in the morning, classroom sessions slash debriefs in the afternoon meals. I mean, it's a really packed schedule uh, that our referees have to go through. Um, so I highly recommend subscribing, you know, for that information when it comes out. Uh, and and we, we really try to bring that education for everybody to understand because, you know, for example, our offside mini series, you know, it, offside is so easy in print, but it's so difficult in application, you know, and especially when you start throwing in, is there interfering with the goalkeeper, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, were they offside? Were they not? And, you know, it, does the referee crew, are they wearing the electronic communication devices? Are they not, you know, adds a whole different element there. And our hope is we can help educate the, uh, you know, the fans and in, in, in the, in the spectators that too. And then additionally at the NCAA, NCAA level with, with colleges and stuff is, you know, NISOA has a YouTube channel and it's just, it's just NISOA and I S O A where, you know, a lot of education has been done there. Um, you know, they've had, uh, you know, weekly, uh, they had a weekly educational session there where they, uh, where they analyze clips, uh, in the springtime, uh, you know, back before COVID times, there was some, uh, uh in-person clinics that were recorded and they're, the instructors are the, are the top, uh, collegiate officials in the country. They're providing this information and, it, it, you know, they did a fireside chat series this fall where they brought in a couple coaches uh, to, uh, you know, do a little, uh, Q and a session and, and whatnot. And, you know, it was, they were, I learned that, you know, the things we take for granted as referees, like we call the considerations of how we make, how we get to our decision on the field. For example, if it's a red card versus a yellow card, you know, we look at point of contact, mode of contact, straight leg, bent leg, is it low to the ground? Is it high? We look at all these things and, you know, come to realize that, you know, maybe the coaching profession or the industry isn't as, as aware of these considerations as we are. And we think they were, you know, cause for us, it's like, Oh, this is easy. You know, it's consideration, you know, ABCD. Um, and I think that by providing education like that to the coaches, they get a little bit more of an understanding of our mindset when we go into making a decision, we're not just arbitrarily making a decision. We're, we're going through a, a process that we, that we do. Um, and I think that can actually help with communication because, you know, you can, coaches can, you know, utilize these considerations to ask officials, Hey, you know, where was the point of contact? You know, was it high? Was it low? You know, things like that to be able to help uh, kind of get everybody on the same terminology, speak the same language. Um, so, you know, NISO has done a great job of that, you know, as well as CONCACAF and, you know, I highly recommend subscribing to the CONCACAF channel, um, because we have the top level instructors in the world that are providing this, uh, this, this education for everybody. Is 
incredible. Like, like Ed said, we could probably go on all night. Uh, <laughs> I, we haven't even gotten into, to VAR. We haven't even gotten into positioning. <laughs> we haven't even gotten. Well, into- I tell you what, for VAR, we can bring in my, my other manager of refereeing, Mark Cahan, because he's in charge of uh, VAR implementation at the, at our level for the gold cup coming up. So, uh, you know, he would be a great person to bring on, uh, yeah. down the road when you guys talk about VAR. Yeah, I was going to say, and there's just so many things that, you you know, and it just goes back to how, how much education goes into this process, how much preparation goes into this process. And even just what you said here at the end, the considerations, I, you know, you think about it, but you don't, you know, like as a, as a coach, you don't think about it. I mean, you're watching, you know, you're watching your game, you're watching another game and, you know, there's not much, uh, you know, the thought goes into it. And then when, when you say it out loud, you're like, wow, like that's a lot of considerations to, to think about. Um, but Lance, obviously can't thank you enough for, for spending, spending the time with us. Um, you know, really want to get you on again, especially to talk, talk about some of those things and, and maybe move forward, you know, with, uh, with bringing on, uh, on your friend that knows VAR, you know, has been working with VAR. Um, but really appreciate time, always respected you and, and your communication and the way you've handled games. Um, and really wish you nothing but the best going in the holidays and, you know, hope, hope you continue to stay safe and healthy during the, during these uh, crazy times. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Ed. You know, and in, in reality is, you know, thank you to the coaching community. Um, you know, I've been on quite a few of these webinars. Uh, I've had quite a few of coaches like speak in person at clinics that I've attended. And I've always valued when we've had coaches come in and speak, cause it's not easy having coaches come up in front of a room, you know, a room full of hundred referees. Uh, you know, it's like walking into the lion's den at first, but then you start to realize that we're all there for the same reason. And, you know, I always found it extremely interesting to hear uh, the logic and the, the process and the perspective of the coaches. And, you know, I've always, I've always encouraged our referees to, to read books written by coaches to get, a, to get more of an understanding of, you know, your approach and, and your perspective, because I feel that's extremely important in creating this successful partnership. Great stuff, Lance. Yeah, it's uh, it's been awesome talking to you. Appreciate your time and uh, look forward to speaking some more in the future, hopefully. And uh, best of luck as you head into the holidays and into the Gold Cup. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Our weekly show is brought to you by Athletics View. Whether it's soccer, football, basketball, and many other sports, you have a memory to share. Let us help you share that gamer match through film via our video production. For more information, visit athleticsview.com, spelled V-U-E, or follow them on Instagram or subscribe to their YouTube channel.